Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Callum Ross, a pupil barrister and author of The Search for Pupilage, a guide to all things application and interview related. In this episode, Callum and I discuss the application process for Barristers for Pupilage, covering each stage of the application process and what Callum put into practice in order to succeed. Let's get into it. So hi Callum, thanks so much for coming on the show. No worries at all. No, it's a pleasure to have you here and obviously I get really excited when I talk to guests in an area that I know nothing about because it's a chance for me to learn um, more more about something today and today we're talking about uh, the bar application really and the entire barrister side of the legal career because um, I think the two are kind of put uh, at heads or sort of the two main kind of career paths that students always often talk about is this whole solicitor versus barrister thing and hopefully some sort of students who are undecided or wanting to learn more about either side of the coin can, can learn some things today um, and and uh, from someone who's released their own sort of evidence, uh, their own resources online as well, in a similar fashion to what I've done in the past with your bar school guide. So even though I'm practic- uh, going to be practicing as a solicitor, having a read through your barrister course was uh, really, really interesting. So thanks so much for coming on the show to discuss it. Um, Thank you for reading it. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting read. Um, but one kind of icebreaker question I like to ask when uh, guests come on the show is to learn a bit more about yourself. So why did you want to join the legal profession? And uh, what's your sort of background today for people who haven't had the chance to, to meet you? Okay, so joining the legal profession for me, I think, was an opportunity to really enhance what, what I enjoy. So I've I've always loved language um, at school, never enjoyed maths or science particularly. Um, It was always English for me, history, geography, stuff like that. Um, And I enjoyed a lot of reading. So when I first really thought about going into the law, it was a case of, oh, I enjoy reading. I have a love of vocabulary um, and an enjoyment of using words. Um, I was always an argumentative kid as well, um, (laughs) as my parents and teachers will tell you. So I think that for me sort of pushed me towards joining the legal profession. Um, And then for me, I felt really after I'd done a bit of experience, etc., I realised that this was a career where I could really make a difference on a a day-to-day basis. I think I'll get my job satisfaction from that so for me it was it was really that opportunity that's pushed me into joining the legal profession um as far as my background's concerned i grew up down on the south coast um my family are from liverpool originally uh so i moved back up first opportunity i got at the age of 18 i went and did my llb law degree at the university of liverpool um i finished that went over to Leeds to do the bar professional training course, which I think now is just called the bar practice course for those budding lawyers who are listening to us. Um, And then I was fortunate enough to get a pupillage back over in Liverpool at Shavas Court Chambers, and I'll be starting on Tuesday. How exciting. And in the meantime, you've been sharing a lot of your tips and your guidance through this guide that you've produced and shared with people on LinkedIn, which I know is how we got in touch. 
Um, and as someone who, like I said, has not gone down the barrister route, it's been really interesting to see some of the sort of similarities and differences between the advice we give for going through that process um, that, that you've been through. But before we get too much into the application side of things, um, I guess more of just the fundamental question, really, of this whole barrister route and why it appealed to you and um, you, know, you know your own personal thoughts and experiences um, that you'd want to share with people who are sort of considering going down either solicitor or barrister route and are a bit unsure. Okay. Um, well, I think firstly with that, you've got to really flesh out the key differences. Um, so I would say firstly, really considering, you know, self-employment versus employment. Um, obviously, barristers tend to be self-employed. I think the statistics now put 94% of barristers at being self-employed and 6% as being what's known as in-house counsel, i.e. employed, um, and obviously solicitors um, are, are all employed. So that's that's a first point. Um, secondly, obviously, I think with the barrister route, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Harry, um, <laughs> I think there is more advocacy and court action. Yep. Uh, personally, that's the experience I've had through mini pupillages, um, etc. I realise there's obviously the option of solicitor advocate, but we can discuss that a bit more in due course. Um, for me, one of the big things that appealed at uh, the barrister route after I'd done a bit of um, bit of experience, work experience in the field, was the camaraderie and the collegiality of the bar. Um, yes, barristers are all independent and yes, they're all self-employed, but there is a huge respect there between barristers and big relationships fostered between them. It's all about connections um, and it's all about, you know, making sure that you can be the best that you can be and to help other people do that as well. Um, that's been that's been a massive thing for me that really attracted me to the bar. Um, going further on that, I think the self-employed aspect, um, talking about that a bit more in a bit more depth, obviously the bar's a a meritocratic system, a, a reputation-based system, if you like, where reputation is obviously key and, and enhancing that and showing yourself to be the best advocate that you can be is key to you getting work in the first place, key to you fostering connections with solicitors uh, in order for you to get more work, etc., etc. And I think that kind of system where you are based solely on your ability um, is something that attracted me massively as well and then obviously the independence you have as a self-employed practitioner and I know you're probably going to differ on that completely because obviously <laughs> you're going to be employed. No I was just I was really interested in listening because um, I was always one for you know drama and musical theatre and kind of being that kind of a uh, brash and bold type like you sort of say and um, the idea of doing advocacy and court speaking really interested me at first when I was doing all of these kind of mock trials and moots that you, you often get the access to at university and I think when I was younger I just kind of assumed that that's what all lawyers did and it was only when you sort of really get into the university and you kind of learn a bit more about the career system you realize there's this, this distinction between you know barristers are in court a lot lot more than solicitors are and in those rare cases like you say of solicitor advocates and um, doing a bit of work so I think you're absolutely right I think there's a fundamental difference between the two roles and um it's it's a different sort of set of skills i think that's required for both which i'm sure we'll touch on later really
whilst there's those sort of fundamental differences between the two career paths, um, I think the application process for the two, there are some sort of slight differences and some similarities there. And I know that this was the primary sort of content and purpose behind um, your PDF or ebook that you shared um, with everyone on, on LinkedIn. And uh, just reading through it, it's really interesting to see the kind of the crossovers and advice that I give to aspiring solicitors versus the ones you've given to aspiring barristers. Um, but for those who are a bit sort of unsure, like myself, about what the whole barrister application route is like, what's the sort of average application process um, for, for Chambers, say? So taking it from the very beginning, obviously, just like the solicitor <coughs> profession, you'll do your LLB, you know, your qualifying law degree. Um, and then what you'll do is go on to study the uh, bar practice course, as it's known now, um, the BPC that's changed over the last year. Um, so you would do that rather than the LPC, uh, which is obviously for the solicitor profession, is the LPC, isn't it? Yep, that's great. And then you would go through what's known as the glorious pupillage application process. Um, okay. Pupillage is effectively your last um, bit of training that you will do. Um, so you've done the academic stage, the, the qualifying law degree, you know, your LLB. Then you'll go on and you'll do the um, vocational training stage, if you like, the, the element where you're really practicing advocacy, etc. on the bar practice course. And then you will go on and do the practical training, which is pupillage. And that is effectively 12 months spent in chambers um, where you're both practicing in the second six and non-practicing in your first six months. Um, and to get there, you've got to go through this, this process, um, which basically involves, and I'm, I imagine this is very similar to the training contract applications, uh, written application, first and foremost, to the chambers that you're interested in. Uh, those chambers will then invite, usually for a first round interview, um, you'll go to a first round interview and they'll basically decide whether they want to interview you again. Um, and then you will have either a piece of written work in the middle or just straight into a second round interview. Um, but I should, I should caveat that Harry, that every, every chambers does it slightly differently. Yeah. And it's the same in the solicitor route. There is a kind of general emphasis on what different firms look for at different stages um, and you know comparing it to the bar one for instance so there is generally that element of having multiple interviews but rather than there being two in-person ones say there's usually some sort of online testing before that initial video interview and then uh, an assessment center where they bundle together an interview alongside some of those kind of practical written skills that you hinted at there so um, for the most part fairly similar but um, I can imagine how that interview process can still be quite alien I think to students who um, just don't have any idea what it's all about and kind of getting an insight through um, your resources and hearing you talk about it I'm sure will be really useful to them so uh, taking that written application um, as a starting point for instance what are some of the really common questions that you'll see a lot of chambers ask and what's your advice for students to address them in the best possible way okay so I've I've written about this in my guide um, <laughs> I can't recall the page number off the top of my head but <laughs> I think the subtitle is something along the lines of tackling diff difficult questions um, and and there I cherry pick some questions that that chambers tend to ask a lot and candidates will notice when they are looking at pupillage application forms for the first time that actually I imagine much like uh, solicitors firms a lot of the applications are very similar so the same questions are asked time and time again 
Um, for instance, why do you think you would be a good barrister? Uh, and in, in tandem with that, what do you think the skills, the important skills of a good barrister are? Um, moving on from that, then perhaps more of a personal touch, things like why, why us? You know, why do you want to practice at this particular chambers? Why do you want to practice on this particular circuit, you know, geographical area in the country? Um, they're all they're all very common pupillage application based questions. I'm not ruling out that you you wouldn't be asked them in interview as well, um, but most chambers tend to include those on their forms. Sure, and then your your advice for approaching those in the right way. So um, you know, as a as a caveat for the solicitor side, I say that I've read a lot of applications for people applying for training contracts and vacation schemes and so on. And I think there's two things which really stick out when it makes a great application versus a good one. Um, one is specificity, so being able to really see that that candidate has researched that particular firm and has given genuine reasons that apply to them and their story that link their motivations to join that firm with their experiences and their academics and so. On. And then the second is just clarity. So super clear in your writing, really addressing the question that the interviewer is genuinely genuinely asking, um, proofreading because lawyers are supposed to be sticklers for detail, um, and just making sure that the kind of the readability of the answer is really there. Um, are they similar for the bar for your sort of bar advice for students, or is there an, an element that you would say is necessary for the barrister route that might not be for the solicitor one when it comes to answering those sort of questions? I would completely echo everything you've just <clears> said. In fact, I was just listening to you thinking I couldn't have put that better myself. <laughs> <laughs> that I've noted down, I've just got jotted down here um, when you asked whether I'd be interested in doing this. My first two thoughts were get across to candidates who are interested in, in doing this, that they need to be precise and specific and that they need to be clear and have clarity in their answers because without those on an application form, I think Chambers have such a wealth of candidates now. It is such a competitive process that without those two things, um, you lack compared to other candidates. I think it stands out if you don't have those. Um, and the way I phrase it to people that I speak to when I've done some mentoring um, is that you basically need to give Chambers, you, you basically can't give Chambers a reason not to interview you, if that makes sense. You've got to accept at that point that they're getting hundreds of applications from candidates who are very good, just like you, if you're applying. Um, but the key there is to make yourself stand out, to not give them a reason um, to, to put you in the no interview pile. So being precise and clear, making sure that all your punctuation um, and your spelling and your grammar is 100% correct. Um, reviewing everything you're writing and I think and I'd hope you you'd echo this on on training contract applications as well Harry but really thinking about everything you're saying and thinking to yourself being very critical after you've written an application and thinking does that add value does that make me you know uh, an attractive candidate to this chambers and if it doesn't if the answer is no for whatever sentence you're looking at then I think you've got to be brutal and take it out. You're under such strict word limits, etc., that if you're reading something and thinking, well, it doesn't really add, you know, I could flesh something else out or I could add a different point in that I think would be better, um, you should be doing that. So commitment, 
and dedication and hard work to each particular application is critical. If you don't spend the amount of time that you think you should have on that application, then nine times out of 10, being brutally honest with you, you will probably not get an interview. <laughs> Whereas if you do spend the time on that application, hopefully that hard work will be, it will be rewarded because Chambers will be able to tell. No, absolutely. And I only echo your point as well about value. I, I sort of say the same thing in that, you know, simply regurgitating information that the firm will know better than anyone or, um, you know, making points which aren't massively clear to the question or really don't actually say anything or are too clear, um, too unclear, or too vague, um, ultimately waste that word count, like you say. And um, it's the same with solicitors' applications. I'm sure it's very similar to barristers' ones. Firms want, you know, clear, concise writing with the word limits you're given and, and they probably give you slightly not enough anyway to, to try and put that point across, I think, really. So, so far, we've kind of, we both mirrored a sort of similar advice for um, solicitors and barrister routes, but I think there's a really big difference that we can find between um, the application process and certainly when it comes to the skills that barristers are using over solicitors, which is this whole idea of advocacy. So um, at law school, I obviously gave it a go and it's good fun, stand up in court and make your case and so on. But in reality, like we said, solicitors don't tend to do a lot of that. And instead, when they're giving advice, it's much more kind of commercial based and um, commercial based in their answer. Sorry. So they're tailoring their advice to the client. They're presenting the legal options um, versus standing in front of a judge and, and, and arguing a defendant's case in that way. Um, and in your book, you go through uh, this this so-called art of persuasion, which I think was a really interesting read as a solicitor. Um, and you talk all about how you need to be a persuasive advocate in the interview process so um what's your sort of advice i guess for being persuasive and when it comes to those in-person interviews um, really demonstrating to the chambers that you would make a, a great advocate in a, in a court system i think the art of persuasion and that's probably my favorite part of that guide that i wrote <laughs> harry so thank you for picking up on that i'm glad you <laughs> enjoyed it um i will say Right here, right now, for any candidates that are really interested, um, there is an excellent book by, I believe it's Ian Morley QC, called The Devil's Advocate. Um, and he talks a hell of a lot more than I and is much more qualified to talk about <laughs> the art of persuasion. Um, so any candidates who are really interested in that, I would suggest getting his book and taking a look. Um, I think the art of persuasion, what it really comes down to, is, as you've nailed there, Harry, is showing chambers in this sense that you are the best candidate that you are showcasing all your skills and all your abilities be that whether it's written advocacy and persuasive on paper or be that when it's you sat in front of a panel um at a chambers doing a pupillage interview and i think it's critical at that point to really make sure that you are showing yourself in the best possible light that you are being Honest, I think, is obviously critical because integrity is a massive part of the bar. And showing them, I think, that you can be realistic. Um, it's it's all for one going into a an interview and showcasing your abilities, uh, you know, and treading the right line between confidence and arrogance, obviously, whilst doing that. But it's another showing a panel that you are a realistic candidate who understands the difficulties, perhaps, uh, of being a self-employed practitioner, one who understands that they may have their own weaknesses, you know, their own shortfalls, as much as they do have strengths. One thing I always tried to do when I was in my interviews 
was show myself not only to be that all-rounded candidate, but one who understood that I wasn't the finished product, that, <laughs> that I did have potential, yes, but that I wasn't finished now. I wasn't going to give that um, amazing cross-examination that a QC would do and that I was hungry to learn and improve myself. And I think if you can get that across in your applications uh, and also in interview, I think that does look really, really good because the chambers will understand. They will not be expecting you to be QC quality when you walk in there. What they're assessing fundamentally is, one, whether they like you or not, because obviously that's a massively important thing. Um, And two, whether you would be good in the future, whether you have the skills and the future potential that they think they can mould with training into an excellent barrister. So I think one thing I will say in order to be persuasive is to never be afraid to own up to your shortfalls, to own them and to show a, a panel why and how you're overcoming those and how you're improving yourself, because that will stand out massively compared to other candidates. And then I think taking your question on a on a second dimension, if I may, um, and looking really at how to be persuasive as an advocate, um, I think really what we're getting down to there in my thoughts is is being confident. And I'm sure that's the same in training contract interviews and written applications as well. It's absolutely critical, even if you're a bag of nerves on the inside. And God knows that I was more than a few times when I had my first <laughs> few interviews. Um, yeah. It is nerve wracking. I'm, I'm sure you've had the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. So making sure that even if you are that on the inside, you can portray an aura on the outside of being calm, cool, collected and, and confident. I think that's really crucial. And you can show that in the way that you speak. You can show that in how you phrase things and you can show that in what evidence you're putting uh, before the panel, again, be it in written or oral form. Um, I think evidence is is absolutely crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it really mirrors something that you said slightly earlier as well, which is the idea of being the finished product. And I think that that can generate a lot of nerves for students as well. Um, be it they're walking into an interview or they're thinking about, um, you know, going to that assessment center or something like that group exercise and feeling like they need to absolutely nail it all the time and that firms are expecting this um, you know, senior partner or, or QC of a barrister to walk in and nail everything. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And it's a really important message. Um, and that ultimately, you know, they want to see that drive to learn. They want to see someone who has the potential and someone who has the ability to, to, to you know, demonstrate that to the, to the person across from them, really. Definitely. Um, so we've talked a little bit about this episode about the kind of application process and how you're sort of putting yourself forward in these interviews and written stages and so on. Um, but I did want to ask you a bit more of a sort of fundamental question again about the sort of difference between the barristers and solicitor route. Um, and we touched on it there with the whole idea of persuasion and advocacy, um, which was sort of your thoughts on the skills that candidates need to demonstrate and the kind of requisites, I guess you could say, for a successful application. Um, so obviously, I get a lot of questions when it comes to training contracts and vacation schemes. People asking, do I need legal work experience? Do I need to have a vacation scheme beforehand? And all these sorts of questions. Um, and ultimately, my kind of responses are, well, if you can if you can portray it to the recruiter in the right way, and you can sell those 
transferable skills and the important skills that solicitors need when it comes to, um, you know, say, commercial awareness or an ability to, um, you know, really kind of bond with clients and show that empathy, um, then it doesn't really matter what you're saying so per se where it comes from. Um, is, th- is that the same advice, I guess you'd say, to the barrister route? What sort of key skills do you think it's important for candidates to try and show? I would absolutely echo all of that again, Harry. Um, it's, it sounds like we've got very similar thoughts, here, but, um, <laughs> so which is, is good. Um, so I, I think it's crucial to do all of the above. And you, you picked up on a really, really interesting point about how actually really in a pupillage application, and I again, I, I'd hope you agree with me for training contract applications, you can, you can say what you like within reason. I will caveat it like that. As long as you can justify and back up what you say, um, you know, barristers and solicitors are trained in evidence. They deal with evidence every day of every week of every year. That's that's what they love. Um, so putting it candidly, I think it's really important that whatever you're saying, you are backing it up and you are justifying it. And I think as long as you do that, as long as you have valid reasons for saying something. You can effectively, within reason, say what you like on an application. Um, I think important skills off the top of my head for pupillage applicants um, would be namely being committed to this career. It's really important that you make sure you are showing a panel, you know, when it comes to a pupillage interview, that you are completely committed, that you really, really want this and you are doing or have done, as as the panel want to see in your application, everything that you can in order to show them that you're going to make a superb barrister, that you are really committed to being a barrister and being in this profession. Um, And taking that in tandem, I think Chambers want to see a hardworking and a determined candidate. That is obviously, it goes without saying, you know, you've got to you've got to show them that drive. You've got to show them that determination, um, and that's something I think I picked up on when I was starting to get rejections for my first few interviews. Um, it is tough. It's not fun. No rejection ever is. I'm sure you'd echo me on that. Picking yourself up and dusting yourself down and going again is key, and I think that makes people a stronger and a better candidate. Um, being confident, we've talked about, so I won't talk too much more on that, but really showing the panel that you are confident and that you do believe in your abilities, you have that self-belief. It all goes together because it's showing them at the end of the day that you have potential, you know you have potential and you're ready to work on that um, and you're obviously confident as an advocate and on your feet and that being a critical part of the job, it's obviously really important to show them that both on paper and then in any interviews that you have. Um, Being analytical and evaluative is obviously very key. I won't talk any more on that other than saying that really, if you don't have those skills, then a chambers will pick up on it. Um, So just making sure that you do think analytically and evaluatively. And I'm sure the majority of candidates do have that because obviously that's what we're taught during our undergrad or the GDL for that matter. Um, Sound judgment, again, I I can imagine you sat the other side of your computer screen, Harry, nodding along to this (laughs) because I can can picture that this is probably very similar for both professions. Um, And at the end of the day, 
The only, I think, major difference, if we're really, really looking at the basics and the underlying foundations that candidates can really pick up on to, to make these decisions between the bar or the solicitor route. And obviously, there are a lot of niche differences and nuanced differences. But I think the critical one is the public speaking element and the advocacy. Um, and so that's another that's another point that you would have to really make sure comes across in your pupillage interviews and applications is that you're a good public speaker, that you have advocacy experience, be that in mooting, uh, be that in pro bono, um, mooting obviously being fake court scenarios and, and submissions to a judge and courtroom etiquette, um, or be that in pro bono and the giving of legal advice, um, be that in, say, negotiation competitions, which I got involved with at university, uh, which perhaps display a different side of advocacy and a flexibility and an ability to think on your feet, such like. Um, again, being persuasive, as we've touched on, is critical. Um, honesty, I think, is really important. Um, if you're not an honest candidate, and I'm sure I, I don't speak to anyone particularly who'll be looking and listening to this podcast, but you, you do have to be honest because integrity is a key part of the bar. And I think the, the key point that I make there perhaps isn't honesty per se, because I'm sure all candidates are. It's that you need to be realistic and not overstate your case. You know, if you've if you've won a mooting competition, what you do not want to be saying to the panel in your pupillage application form, that that makes you as good an advocate as the QC who's head of change, <laughs> because quite frankly, it, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, so not overstating your case, I think, is critical. Um. I would say those are the skills that I would pick out and say, as an overview, you need to be demonstrating all of those, both written and oral. No, fantastic. And it's really funny you make that point about, um, I guess, honesty and just integrity. And that I, I kind of give similar advice to some solicitors when it comes to, you know, going into these interviews and you're being asked to comment on a topic or you're asked to present your thoughts and feelings about a recent news story or something like that. Um, my main piece of advice is just speak to your level of competency. Don't try to oversell the, the, the fact that you know something when you when you clearly don't. Um, because like you said, you don't know who you're sitting across from. Um, and it could be that the, the partner who is an expertise in that area just happens to be the one interviewing you. And then you're in, you know, you're in deep water very quickly trying to trying to get out of that. So um, absolutely. And um, one thing I also wanted to ask you about finally, um, which I think is probably one of my personal favourite chapters of, of your guide, um, which is chapter seven. And it deals entirely with the the weight, the outcomes, the anxieties that come with applications that I think really equally apply to any kind of application, be it legal or otherwise. And kind of dealing with those rejections and um, trying to learn from your mistakes and pick yourself back up again. So um, I think that there's a really common theme, sadly, of imposter syndrome throughout all of the aspiring solicitors that I talk to. Um, I would assume that there's the same for barristers. I think it just reflects students generally, quite sadly. Um, and, you know, I give my own advice when it comes to trying to learn from your past mistakes, reading through your old applications and trying to take some kind of value from those rejections. Um what is it that you think is critical to keep in mind when it comes to getting that final decision back and it unfortunately being not quite what you wanted? I think candidates really need to, they need to focus on themselves at that point. Um, I had quite a few interviews last year and, and thus what came with that was unfortunately quite a lot of rejections before I got my, my pupillage. Um, it hurts 
it is a kick in the teeth. It always will be. It doesn't matter whether it's a rejection of your pupillage application form or whether it's a rejection after a second round interview with your favourite set. It all it all hurts just as much. Um, I think I will speak to candidates now being on the other side of it and say the pain doesn't get any easier initially, but what does happen is that you get over it quicker. You heal quicker from that. Um, so I think what candidates really need to focus on is taking the positives, like you've just said, out of that situation. Yes, you've been rejected. Yes, it hurts. But think about it. Think about it practically. How is this experience going to help me moving forward? Once you've picked yourself up and you've dusted yourself off, what have you learned? What what lessons can you take from it? Um what feedback do you have? And I would press every candidate. Chambers are going to hate me if there's any barristers listening to this, <laughs> especially ones on pupillage panels. But press a chambers for feedback after interviews specifically. Um, they have so many candidates. I do, you know, I do understand that it is very hard for chambers to give individual feedback. But I think if if you press them into it. Hopefully a lot of chambers will. It may only be a couple of lines. It may only be a point, but it is a point more that you can work on, that you can improve on than it is if you just say, okay, I've been rejected. I'll leave that one. We'll move on to the next one. Um, so first of all, don't be disheartened. Um, learn, learn from these experiences. It will make you a stronger candidate and go on, go on from there. Um, and also recognize, I think, the achievements that you've done. You may not have got the pupillage, fine, but think of it like this. If you've, if you've reached, for example, a second round interview, like I did on a number of times, and then was unsuccessful in getting the pupillage, you've got to think to yourself, well, if Chambers had, you know, I think the average now is about 100 odd applications, 150 applications for each pupillage. If Chambers had that and they were offering, you know, two pupillages, say, and I got down, they interviewed eight people for second rounds, right, for two pupillages. You're down to the last eight from an average, you know, and I can't speak exactly wise, but from an average statistically of 300 odd candidates, all of whom are are very, very talented and very well qualified. Um, so you've got to take the positives out of that. That Chambers liked you. They liked what you said, um, both in your application forms and in your interviews to them. They liked the way you were. They liked you as a person. Um, so take those positives, remember the achievements that you've made, and then take the more negative aspects, perhaps the constructive criticism and the feedback, and use that to enhance yourself so that next time you're an even better candidate and you're ready to blow the socks off any pupillage panel that you sit in front of. <laughs> well, that's fantastic and what a brilliant message I think to uh, to conclude the show on really um, a really kind of inspiring set there and I can only echo what you said when it comes to uh, picking yourself up and, and going again and, and using what you've done to, as a learning point really um, a really kind of insightful chat with you Callum and I think it's uh, it's been really funny to see how our advice has mirrored each other at times and how it's differed in others um, for people who are wanting to um, learn more about yourself and to get a copy of your um, ebook where can people go to learn more about you? I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I would say the easiest thing, because I haven't published the guide anywhere, um, I'd say the easiest thing is to um, connect with me 
send me a direct message um, and just ask me for the guide and I'll get it over to you as quickly as possible. Um, the reason why I haven't published it is because personally I have been quite candid um, in that guide, as I'm sure you've seen um, from some of my phrasing, etc. Harry. Um, so I didn't want to have to go through a, it's been suggested that I try and get it published, but I didn't want to have to go through a publishing process where an editor turns to me and says, you need to take that out. Um, because I feel that everything I've put in there is my honest thoughts on the process. Um, so that is why, unfortunately, it's not sort of out in the domain. Um, but, you know, any candidate who wants it can just get in touch with me and I'll get it over to them as soon as possible. Absolutely, I will do. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Callum. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share your advice with us. I'm sure many of those listening will find it really, really resourceful. That's all right. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the More From Law podcast. The amount of support the show has received recently has been unbelievable, so thanks again for playing your part in that by listening. If you'd like to support the show, please rate it five stars on the iTunes store and follow the show on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps the show reach more listeners. If you're looking for more tips, resources and guides, you can visit my website www.harryclarklaw.com where you can also sign up to my newsletter and stay up to date with everything that I'm up to. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.